What's up? It's Joe Crest here. Purge, too. I really enjoyed doing that show. Uh, love working for Bloomhouse. But, um, but I want to give you a little dad advice before I get out of here, okay? A little dad advice here from your on-screen dad. Don't go out there. Just like Nike says, just don't do it. Go get them. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there. Maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone. You can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We got some new T-shirts. Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, We love interacting with our fans. We love, you know, meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our Patreon, we call it Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You're a big fan of our podcast, a big fan of our show. You want to help support us. That option is available. And we also have one-time donations. If you want to donate and, you know, have a, if you have a film review you want us to do, that option is available as well. All right, guys, let's jump into the film review. We're, we're continuing on with our 31 theme picks. Uh, this week is Brother Brian's pick. Brian, you want to announce your pick and why you picked it? Yeah, I picked uh, Purge 2, Purge Anarchy. Uh, like I think I mentioned during our review of the first one, listen to that, don't go out there.com. I'm a big fan of this franchise. And, and while I also mentioned last week, you know, this one isn't my favorite. That is actually the one Dustin's picking, uh, the first purge. I don't have one that I totally dislike. And that definitely goes for this one too. You know, all of these movies are easy for me to engage with. What I like about this one is how it opens up that world and, and gives you a different perspective than we got from the first one. Uh, the characters, I think, are a little bit easier for me to relate to than the super rich family in the first one. Mike, I'm sure, was the easiest to relate to that rich lifestyle of the you know, family and the killers in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the character arcs, I think, are better written and given all of the, uh, you know, the uh, socioeconomic subtext. Well, hell, I mean, it's not really subtext. It's pretty out in the open <laughs> for the rest of this franchise. It makes it pretty realistic to me. Uh, and honestly, the further down the track we're getting in real life, it makes it more and more realistic every day, I think. Uh, I enjoy it. Very little I, I don't care for in this one personally. All right, I'll go next. I've only seen three of the five Purge movies so far. The first one, this one, and the what's – the, what's the last one called? The Forever Purge? Forever Purge. Okay. So I've watched this. I know Brian's losing his mind right now hearing how I've watched – this franchise in the order I have one, five, then two, Jesus Christ, what the hell's wrong with me. Anywho, I think this movie is just okay. It's an enjoyable watch for what it is. And I, I'm going to reference 
other movies we've done in the past, if you just turn the movie on and watch it for what it is, don't analyze it or critique it. Perfectly entertaining, fine movie. But there's just a lot of stuff that just kind of annoys the fuck out of me. Like some of the characters just annoy the shit out of me. Callie specifically, she's annoying as hell. Never shuts the hell up. Ask too many damn questions when you need to just be quiet and let Sergeant run the show. Uh, just not my personal favorite, but it's not terrible either. I just kind of like with Underworld too, like we did last month. Uh, it's not as good as the first one to me. It's not terrible, but just didn't hit the same. But I got two more Purge movies to watch, and we'll see how they go. Uh, Mike, you want to go next? Your thoughts? Yeah, sure. First of all, I just want to say glad to be back. I'm back from fighting fucking polar bears with my bare hands last week in Alaska. So there's that. Uh, Wait, you bare hands? You got Apparently, bare hands? See yeah, what I'm bare saying? Hands and fought a, a bear. bear. Wow. A human with bare hands? Are you man yeah, bear pig? Hey, <laughs> he has the right to bear arms. Super cereal, everybody. Uh, personally, if you ever see me fighting a bear, you better jump in and help the bear. Anyway, uh, also, apparently, while I was fighting those polar bears, they gave me the 2020 pandemic disease. So that's fucking fun. So if I sound like shit, that's why. But I'm glad to be back, brothers. Glad to be back to talk about. The Purge Anarchy. Look, I'd only seen this movie one other time prior to doing it for this show. And I kind of remember liking it then. But like I told the group chat here, that wasn't my main objective that evening to pay attention to the Purge movie. So I had other things on my mind at the time at that age. And uh, so I wouldn't really pay attention. So I was glad to go back and be able to watch it and soak it all in. And I'm with you, Brian. I really like this movie, man. Like, I like the first Purge more than I thought that I did, too. It's like another thing. Like I'm excited to go back and rewatch or watch the whole franchise for the first time because I'd only seen these first two films. Uh, I think the cast is really good. There's some familiar faces, some some you know fresh faces. So there's a nice little mix in there of people I've seen in other things. Looking at you, Matt Saracen. Uh, so, uh, again, great story. And I like the world that the purge is in. I, I like that as a thematic plot element. This one night where crime is rampant and it's totally legal. I love that as a fictional plot point. Now I would never want that in my own world personally, but I do think it makes for very interesting storytelling and the onions that you can kind of peel back off of that. So I think that this movie does a really good job of making me invest in the characters really early on and throughout the entire film. So very excited to talk about it. Thought it was really well done. Uh, just a good, entertaining horror movie, in my opinion. So I told uh, Nico and Mike before we got on here tonight, before Brian joined us, somehow, sneakily, the Purge franchise is skyrocketing up my favorite franchise uh, list. I don't think there's a bad movie in the group. That being said, this one is, spoiler, my least favorite of the franchise, but that's not to say that this is a bad movie. Um, I enjoy it a lot. I think that the acting is is solid. It's good enough. It's, for, it's serviceable. Uh, Brian, you mentioned how it opens our eyes to more of a worldview of what's going on instead of one household. I appreciate that a lot, too. I think it's, it's definitely a unique look compared to what we got in the first one. Now, the first one had one of the best actors of all time in it. This one doesn't. Shout out to Ethan Hawke. But uh, this, yeah, this is a this is a fine movie. I enjoy it every time it's on. Um, or every time I think to watch it, I'll, I'll pop it in the Blu-ray player and, and enjoy myself every time. Now, Ooh. one one more thing before I go, though. I looked this up when I was watching this the other night for my notes, and it befuddled me. 
how in the fuck did they come up with this timeline for this franchise? So I was just curious, like, what year this one takes place in? Well, I knew what year. It tells us at the beginning. It's 2023. Cool. So that's this year in real life. But then I looked at the rest of the franchise. So the movie, The First Purge, takes place in 2016. And then the movie that was the literal first purge, The Purge 1, takes place in 2022. This is 2023. The television show starts in 2027. Purge election year is 2040. And the forever year purge is 2048. The part that has me all flummoxed is the fact that the purge election year takes place 2040? in 2040. Oh, shit. Okay, Sarge what? and the – what? Yeah, that's exactly – it's what you're about to say, oh, yeah, I yeah. think. About- so Sarge and the stranger, who we find out his name is Leo, they're both in both of these yeah. movies, right? They're in the purge anarchy and the purge election year. And they look like they may have aged a week. They definitely don't look like they've aged 17 years. Go to oh, hell. Shit. I didn't pay attention to that. I didn't know it was 2040. That's crazy. I didn't either, but I, yeah. I looked that up, and I was like, what the what the hell is going on here? Wow. In the words of Johnny Cochran on South Park, that does not make sense. <laughs> in the words of Dustin Frank, he's going to pull a Stephen A, just pulled a big word out of the dictionary. He's going to drop it in every – And flummox <laughs> is going to – Flummox, I'm befuddled. That's one of my favorite words, flummox, so that's good shit. I mean, I'm just right, flabbergasted. I'm t- Go ahead. I'm tuned in for the rest of the show just to what Dustin's saying, just to hear the big words. All right, any more opening thoughts for you to jump into the scene by scene? All right, let's do it. America 2023, unemployment is below 5%. Crime is virtually non-existent, while every year fewer people live below the poverty line. All thanks to the purge. Two hours, 26 minutes until the purge. Eva is wished a safe night as she waits on a customer at the diner. Boss says it's late and hope to see y'all tomorrow. <laughs> that made me laugh. Hope to see y'all tomorrow. Hope you don't die. Carlos flirts with Eva, but she shoots him down. Tanya says she needs to let Carlos take her out. Sergeant is loading guns as he looks at pictures of he and his son. Liz and Shane are leaving town and Shane looks at pictures of he and her on his tablet. He lies saying he's fine. Businesses are locking up as hustlers try and offer protection to customers as they walk by. Eva is harassed by Diego as she enters her apartment building, shooting his advances down. Callie and Papa Rico watch Carmelo's videos online. Rico calls him a lunatic. Rico and Eva begin to argue over the medicine. Callie begs him to take the medicine for her. He says he's going to take a nap and sleep through the holiday. He hates it. He asks him to lock up and says he loves them. Eva tells Callie she didn't get the raise. Liz tells Shane she wants to tell his sister they're separating, but he doesn't want to tell her. A purger with a painted face scares Shane at the car, antagonizing them. We see close-ups of all these masked individuals who are preparing to purge. They drive away in fear. Sergeant's ex-wife arrives at his house, and she sees newspaper clippings of what happened to his son and his killer. She begs him not to do it. It won't make you feel better. She kisses his cheek and says to be safe. All right, Brian, that's the first set of scenes I got. What would you think? So we get this cold open in the diner. The first thing I notice is the handheld camera being used by Nemonico in this shot. Not quite a shaky cam, but enough that it makes it feel dirty and real. And I think it helps this movie a lot. Uh, I may be totally wrong, but I don't recall that from him in the first movie. And we know Demonico is the writer of all of them, but he directed the first three in the franchise. Uh, but I said all of that to say I really like the shooting style in this one. So I'll give credit also to Jaquez Hufri, the uh, cinematographer, who is an action movie legend himself, won an award for Into the Wild, but was nominated as well for Deepwater Horizon, Lone Survivor. I guess Mark Wahlberg likes this guy. Hey, I do too. I don't know. But like I said, my open, 
I really enjoy the main cast in this one, but especially the writing and character arcs we get introduced to in this set of scenes right here. Uh, Carmen Ajago as, as Eva and her whole struggling financially family arc we get. Her daughter is okay to start out with. I, I completely agree with Nico. She definitely gets annoying later. I'll 100% agree with that. But the writing is spot on for me. Uh, speaking of that, I think Frank Grillo is the uh, perfect protagonist. I'm a big fan of Grillo. He won me over in Captain America Winter Soldier. I've been a fan ever since. Uh, I think he does a good job here. And again, his story and arc and how it unfolds, I'm a big fan here and, and even in the third one. I do think it's better here than the third one. I mean, he's less of the focus in that one from what I recall and just blew my mind finding out that that's, you know, so many years later. That's crazy. I thought it was like the next year. Um, <laughs> I saw this in the theaters with my wife, who's petrified of the purge, by the way. Uh, again, it, it's the realism. But this opening scene with Liz and Shane, uh, real life spouses, by the way, uh, Kate Keeley, Keeley Sanchez and Zach Guilford. Keeley is from 30 Days of Night Part 2, which to go down a rabbit hole real quick, also stars friend of the show, Diora Baird, interview at don'tgooother.com. Uh, but this opening, to me, really ramps up the tension. Uh, it, it ramps up the tension that in, in the first one, we didn't know we didn't know what Ethan Hawke was preparing for, really, in the, in the open of that one. You know, he's driving around. But in this one, we have that benefit, and the, the blood pressure, at least mine, starts to amp up as, you know, it kind of starts to get closer to the time. And this couple, which I'll also say, I love their character development in this one as well. Uh, what they set up here, you know, pays off later in, in, in every aspect. By the way, why are you going to the grocery store and grocery shopping like this close to the purge? I mean, I feel like that's cutting a little bit too close. But last thing, shout out to Diego Guglame, 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 I think that's how you say it, Hector from Fast and the Furious. Uh, look, go look at this man's IMDb. If it seems like he's in everything, it's because he is. And also shout out to legend John Beasley as Papa Rico, who regrettably passed away just a few months ago from us recording this. But I love this set of scenes, uh, the tension it builds, the 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 visuals with the skateboard crew, the ice cream truck folks. You know that God mask was even seen in so much of the marketing. I remember it worked for me. I love it. Yeah, I really like this opening. Although I don't have a whole lot to say on this opening set of scenes, just because I'm not. You know, they're just kind of uh, laying the groundwork here. But there is a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, I kind of forget this is a Blumhouse movie, uh, along <laughs> with Platinum Dunes, which is another. You know, at this. At this time period, it kind of felt like Platinum Dunes was on its way out as far as being really involved in the horror uh, community. But, you know, right here, 2014. Um, again, it's just kind of strange and odd that we're – nah, I'm, I'm sure this was on purpose from, from you. But uh, that it's 2023 in the movie and we're reviewing this in 2023. I think that's kind of interesting as well. Um, also, I love – this is a complete side note. I love shitty diners like this. Love little fucking – Hole in the wall, cheap ass coffee, f f fucking giant waffle with eggs. I love this kind of little shitty diner. So I'm all in. It's like it's like Brian said. It's made me invest in it like it's more realistic. Also, shout out Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Can't Lose, Matt Saracen, my man. Uh, average ass quarterback in high school, but that's okay. He seems to be doing all right for himself here so far. Uh, again, I, I spoke on it in my open. I love this idea of the purge. Not in my real life. <laughs> but as a fictional plot point to, to, to open up with a movie. Like I love this idea and they've done a good job explaining what it is in few words once again. Um, and they've also done a good job. See a little bit, 
maybe a little bit of a difference. I know I'm going to get rich jokes for this, but I thought you could kind of tap into the last family in the first one as well. Like I feel like there was relatable thematic elements there, not the money part, but some of the other stuff, you know, family stuff. I feel like you could tap in same thing here, except obviously a little bit more relatable because you know, money's tight. Got to, you got to do what you got to do to make the living. You got to buy your dad's medicine. It's hard to come by. So, Again, a lot of, and, you know, you have this relationship with, I'm just going to call him Matt Saracen because he's nothing else, but with Liz and Matt Saracen, like, I really think that's a relatable, toxic relationship. I, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's Matt Saracen, brother. It's Matt Saracen. I, don't get that. I, didn't, I didn't get that reference. I had to look it up. I know you're talking about Friday Night Lights now, but that's I've right. never seen that show. That's right. They're asked, Texas forever. Um, so. Yeah, again, a lot of relatable characters, and I feel like they do a good job of making me care about these characters very early on, except for Shane, apparently, because I didn't remember his name, so he's Matt Saracen. Uh, and, you know, I do like the scene at the home. We, we get to introduce yourself to the family a little bit, but I will say this. I am throwing, and it's my last thing, I am throwing hands at anyone that tries to intimidate me off a fucking skateboard. All right, that is the least scary shit ever. I will knock your ass out if you come up to me bowing up on a fucking skateboard. That's right, I said it. I know this because I used to skate, asshole. Darby Allen said you you don't want the problems with him. Oh, Darby Darby Allen's as big as... <laughs> you make fun of Darby Allen all the time. Yeah, I do. Shout out to AEW. So, my initial thoughts of this open is that this movie feels cheaper than the first. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but just the look and the feel, this feels, in the open at least more like a TV movie or an episode of a TV show. I don't know. I, that's just how I, how I feel. It feels like I'm when you turn it on and after the, uh, you know, the scenery starts, it feels like I'm watching CSI or something, but it does a good enough job at introducing us to what's going on and who our players are. So they do a fine job at, you know, planting the seeds there. Uh, when Ava walks into her building, we see Hector. Uh, he's going by the name Diego now, but come on, that's Hector. He'll just outrun trouble by, you know, driving during the purge. I mean, he's got a Honda Civic with a spoon engine. I do like how this movie has multiple storylines as opposed, like I said, to just focusing on the one family. That's that's cool because it definitely is going to, you know, move in parts. You, you don't get just focus on one. And how many times can you realistically do that if you're trying to make a franchise? So that's cool. Uh, then that group of hooligans at the grocery store. That was a motley looking crew. Fuck those guys. Uh, but overall, like it's a decent setup, and it piques my interest. So I'm, I'm in. I'm ready to see where we're going with all these moving parts. Carmelo says we have to fight back this year as we see Papa Rico leave a letter, get dressed, and get into a limo. Shane and Liz are arguing in the car over their relationship until suddenly their car breaks down. Sergeant drives into town in his modified car as Eva and Callie lock down. Liz and Shane's car is leaking, and they take off running as purgers from the store arrive. News 13 wishes all non-purgers a safe evening. The emergency broadcast system commences the annual purge. May God be with you all as a siren plays. A semi stops and Big Daddy machine guns down two people on the street. Sergeant drives the streets seeing carnage and makes a U-turn. Liz and Shane are still in the streets defenseless. They run to hide in a dumpster, but she panics seeing a corpse. They take off running, seeing the other purgers. Callie goes to check on Papa Rico, and she yells for Eva. They read his note. He says he's dying and offered himself as a martyr to a wealthy family. They will be paid $100,000 for his sacrifice. 
We see him surrounded in a room covered in plastic tarps about to be slaughtered. Eva explains how the rich purge people. Callie panics trying to save him, but Eva says to stop. He's gone. They hear some rumbling outside and see trucks of armed men about to search the building. Diego shoots the doors down saying he's here to protect her. From me. Diego starts rambling and Callie gives away their location. Diego says he's going to release the beast. He continues yelling until he presses Eva to the wall. He tells her to beg as he licks her face. He goes to check on the noises and his gun down. Eva and Callie are captured by Big Daddy's men for his personal purge. All right, Brian, next set of scenes I got. What'd you think? This uh, Papa Rico arc is very impactful to me. Like, this is a very interesting little thread, I guess. And yeah, I mean, it's just quickly explored. But the idea here really intrigues me. This idea of a dying person giving themselves willingly to the rich for money, basically life insurance, you know, for his family. It's very, very real, you know, I, and I'm not sure w- what other way to describe it for me. It's very impactful writing, I think. And, and that's a lot throughout this movie. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We could have uh, we could have had a little bit better setup for Liz and Shane's car to fuck up. I mean, that's eh, not how a car with power steering going works, but okay. Uh, when he was pulling over, it was literally showing him going back and forth, and the wheels were going back and forth. But anyway, nitpicking, but annoying. Um, not that hard to make it realistic, but whatever. It's a good idea. Uh, it's a good catalyst. You know, it's a good setup to to get them you know on the road, so all these characters' paths can cross. So I like that. Funny thing here is that God mask is young Lakeith Stanfield, who is actually an Academy Award winner now, now as of uh, 2021. But again, I want to give props to the atmosphere. You know, that that purge siren so recognizable now, but I never get used to hearing it. And, you know, all right, shit's about to go down. And, you know, while it's going off, like you're getting these beautiful shots from DeMonico of the city, the the sergeant who who, you know, you learn his full name, like you said, is Leo Barnes in election year. But. Shots of him driving, you know, slow motion shots of, of purgers getting getting set up just in, in an introduction to, to Big Daddy and, and just some beautiful overhead shots as well. Mixed in, you know, before we are right back on the ground with Liz and Shane with that shaky cam. And I thought it was a very nice mixture of shots there. Um, just, you know, finally, I kind of wish we would have gotten to see the conclusion of Papa Rico and the wealthy family. And but the uh, the killing of Hector who busts in. Yeah. It's CG, but I think it looks, I think it looks good. I think it does to me anyway. I mean, him, him coming in with his gut hanging out. It's amazing too, but another good group of scenes to me. Yep. I think the movie picks up a decent amount here. As far as the story goes, um, 
you know, I like this Paparico thing too, mostly because I don't know where it's going in this first part here. Like, he's kind of acting a little shady. You're like, do I like Paparico? Do I not like Paparico? I mean, obviously, I think we do uh, because, you know, he he did this for the right reasons. Uh, but, again, it, when you start to unravel that, I'm like, huh, whose side am I supposed to be on here? They're like, man, this is such a toxic-ass couple. And this wife, Liz, or whoever, girlfriend, is far more likable than Julie Taylor. And only about three of you will get that reference. But if you watch Friday Night Lights, that's who dated Matt Saracen. You know what I'm talking about. She's horrendous. Um, of course, the car breaks down like this was a little convenient. Like, just the way it happened, when it happened, how it happened was a little too convenient for me. Uh, that sounds like a nitpick. I'm not saying you never lose power steering, but just the time, like, right before the purge or pretty close to the purge, just felt like a really convenient thing to happen. He cut the line, though. I mean, it was on purpose. I know, but that, but, but it still was a little, which I even say, looks like he cut it on purpose. However, <laughs> I still felt it was a little of a convenient plot element. But uh, honestly, I would have just started running as soon as I figured that out. As soon as I figured out my car wasn't going to work, I'm taking off on foot, if able. Because at that point, you're screwed. So especially in a big city like that, like I got to get going now. Uh, and every time, <laughs> every time I've watched you know, the first purge and then now this one, I, I get invested in that TV broadcast, that initial <clears throat> TV broadcast of the purge is about to happen. That, that PSA that comes on, the purge sounds, the graphic, like, I'm like, man, that would be fucking terrifying if it was happening in real life to me right now. Like that scares the shit out of me. And I think they do a really good job of conveying that every time or the two purge movies I've seen. Um, <laughs> I got to say, the machine gun kill was badass, especially out of the back of what looks like a box truck. Fucking love that kill. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more about that later. But I just love the way the purge scenes are shot. You mentioned, like, how they capture this atmosphere, Brian. The way they capture the anarchy, pun intended, of the purge is awesome. They do it pretty good in the first one. But in this one, I feel like they up the ante a little bit and really capture the insanity that is this night. Like, I feel like they do a really good job here. Uh, I like some of these new masks. Some of them are a little odd to me, but I do like these masks. This fucking rich family that wants to kill Papa Rico is kind of the scariest fucking part of the film to me. These, these cookie cutter, white ass rich people are the scariest part of the film to me. They fucking freak me out. Um, the bus on fire going down the street is hilarious. It fucking made me laugh. Uh, the two times I watched this. And again, Diego here, Mr. Scary Man, is just a big Brucey from the longest yard. A fucking uh, incel creep that nobody wanted to talk to. So now he wants to purge. And then he gets fucking blew up like the 4th of July. I fucking Hold love up. the closet scene. I fucking love the closet scene, though. I'm done. Brucey was not an incel in the longest yard. Brucey was getting his back blown out by the cheerleaders. Ah! Did you forget that? <laughs> yeah, whatever, bat freckle. But I uh, think, yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway, you're right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Grandpa leaving. Man, that's a tough moment, especially because you saw how strange he was acting when he told the girls he loved them and how serious he looked while leaving. Like it really—that's a peak of uh, tension, and you know it really grabs your curiosity for sure. Uh, Shane and Liz's car breaking down is an oh shit moment. 
for me, especially when you hear that the purge is going to begin in 45 minutes, like that's really get your heart elevated, heartbeat elevated. Uh, they got to get home. But it is very convenient that after they've been parked outside and, or parked and outside of the vehicle for a while, you all of a sudden hear liquid pouring from the undercarriage. That's the part of it that annoyed me. It's like they they had pulled over and they're standing on the side on the sidewalk and they're like, "Oh, what the hell is this liquid sound? Come on!" Uh, and then we see the punks from earlier. Yikes! Like that just absolutely sucks for them being stuck outside downtown. But it's a great job to just naturally build tension for what they're going through. Uh, once we start seeing the purgers, it's an awesome optic. I mean, there's just a lot going on and it, it's fast paced and it's awesome. Uh, we get a badass 50 cal gun out of the back of the truck, giving us our first, first kills. That's awesome. Uh, it's gut wrenching. It's really gut wrenching when Eva and Callie find Papa Rico's letter. Like that's, that's tough. Va- valued his life at just a hundred thousand dollars. Like that is sad as shit. Um, Hector or Diego, I guess. Turning out to be a real piece of shit. Man, Brian and Dom should have cooked him when they had the chance. I'm glad he got lit up like that. Even though, to me, Brian, you, you're on the opposite side of this. I thought the gunshot effects looked pretty bad. The The holes looked good, but the goo that was flying out of them looked terrible. I thought the blood the blood and the awesome. splatter looked terrible. It was, that, was, that was not good to me. Um, but this was a decent set of scenes. The action has started, and it's going at a great pace. So I like it. Sergeant pulls up seeing Eva and Callie being captured. He tries to convince himself to just drive away and not intervene. He gets his gun and goes to help them as Shane and Liz get in the backseat of his car. Sergeant kills off the capturers and shoots Big Daddy. Eva and Callie join him as they run to the car. Sergeant threatens to kill Liz and Shane until Callie says we have to go as she sees Big Daddy stand up. The other purgers arrive now. They drive away as Big Daddy shoots him with the machine gun. The purgers aren't following after them anymore as Sergeant asks about all of them, but he goes quiet when he's asked the same. Smoke comes from the hood as the car breaks down. Sergeant tells them they're on their own now. He hands out guns and takes off. He has something to do and can't be slowed down. Eva tells him she can get him a car if they help him get him there. He hands her his phone to make sure. Eva confirms the car is his and the others can stay. He tells them to come on, but he'll cut them loose if they slow him down. A crazy religious woman is speaking over a megaphone shooting into the air. They watch the purgers capture a man. Sergeant says they're not our business. Shane is captured by a trap alarming purgers. Shane shoots himself free and they take off down an alley. Six hours remaining. The group introduces themselves now as Shane shit talks Sergeant. Callie goes to talk to Sergeant asking a bunch of questions. They find a stockbroker dead hanged up with the reason why he was killed. All right, Brian, this next set of scenes I got. What do you think? I don't have a lot on this set of scenes, but, uh, and so up to this point, Zoe Soul's Callie has been perfectly fine to me, but it's here where she gets on my nerves big time. I mean, you know, first of all, first of all, that's the slowest moving back door to the truck I've ever seen. Like it starts to open when Leo is still in his car. He gets out, goes to the side of the building, and then it shows Liz and Shane, they're able to run and get in his car. Then he decides to bust out and save Callie and Liz, and the door is still only halfway opening. First of all, what the fuck? But second of all, Big Daddy is a terrible shot. He didn't get anybody with that Gatlin gun. I mean, not even a fucking tire. Third of all, Callie, fuck you. This dude just saved your life, and you're going to give him shit about it? Like, a real dick move. Shut the fuck up. 
And, you know, and she gets even more annoying during the rest of the set of scenes. New rules. Shut the fuck up. Love it. Uh, I laughed at this fat sniper woman saying, I'm the Holy Trinity. I'm the father fucker, son of a bitch, and holy shit. <laughs> I'm blasphemous? Yeah. <laughs> but it made me laugh. I've never noticed that line before before this watch. Uh, and just lastly, you know, there's just there's more great shots of them driving through the city. Noticeably awesome overhead shot of them running through downtown. I loved it. And I wanted to point it out here. Uh, I wanted to point it out here as well. Some really great visuals bookending the set of scenes uh, with that shot of the stockbroker up on the bank door as well. It's just fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so I had a lot of problems with the, the whole car thing too. One, he sat in that car for a long time, which I kind of understand considering the night that it is. But if you're going to you know, hop out and save someone, you might want to go ahead and do that or speed off one or the other. And then like you said, just like, how how Shane and Liz got over to the cars that quick, I don't really know. But I thought it made for a good effective scene because now all three of these stories are starting to connect here, which is what I was waiting for. And, and, and I think they do a good job of finally, uh, it, you know, doing the interweaving here of all three of our main stories, which I think they pull off. Um, <laughs> you know, they're worried about being chased down, but they're being chased down by what looks like shitty dirt bikes and a box truck. I would hope a car that looks like his could go faster than those things, but what do I know? Um, look, again, the car breaks down again, and I didn't see anything with that car being fucked with, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed that one, but a car breaks down again. Just a little bit of a convenient plot point. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we've already done it once in the movie, and now we're doing it again. Uh, I, I understand Brian's right. With the first one, the cable was cut. But in this one, it's just very convenient to me. I guess you could blame the purge if you wanted, but I still don't like it. Um, the woman on the roof would definitely be a school shooter if the purge didn't exist. She was saying, like, manifesto school shooter things. Like, if you, like, read some of the Columbine kids and what they wrote, they wrote the same kind of stupid shit all over their notebooks and stuff. That's the kind of stuff a school shooter says. So I'm glad that... I'm glad the purge not exists for her so we don't have to worry about her shooting up an elementary school down the road. Uh, look, you're right. What'd I say? What'd I say? Callie is one of my least favorite characters in a horror movie in a long time. <laughs> she just does not shut the fuck up. And she should, many times over, be very quiet. Especially this man just saved your life and you have the cojones to question him. Like, I mean, we let it die out a little bit, and then we come in with some questions. I don't know, maybe in the morning after the purge, maybe I hit him with some questions, but apparently he didn't seem to mind by the end of the movie, so what the hell do I know? Also, I love the look of the dead stockbroker. thought they pulled that off really well. Listen, purge or not, it would be pretty tough to see two women getting dragged out of a building and thrown into a truck and not wanting to do something about it, so Sarge was right to act upon it. And, turns out to be a badass, so... Big fan of his character. Um, <clears throat> Brian, you mentioned you loved him in Captain America, Winter Soldier, same. But also, I loved him in a severely underrated movie, The Grey. And so, Frank Grillo, he's good in my book. Anyway, uh, Shane and Liz get into the Captain back. America. Oh, sorry. You want to what? Um, cut that out. Oh, he's questioning I'm, what Captain America is. I am is. just like a, kidding. Like I, I, I sell Captain America shaker cups at GNC. <laughs> <laughs> so Shane and Liz getting into the back of Sarge's car is kind of hilarious to me. Like it's purge night. 
and you just climb in the back of a stranger's car, you think he's going to be cool with you doing that? Like, that's a huge risk there. Um, I do like how our three storylines are now blended into one. Like, it's at least somewhat believable how they all intertwined, um, you know, very close proximity, and they just happen to bump into each other. I, I like the way that's done. Now, here, you mentioned it, Mike. The car breaking down here is lame to me. I mean, we already had one car breakdown earlier. You couldn't come up with something else, some other way to write this. Now, I get the one earlier because they cut the brake lines. And I I mean, I guess I get this one, too, because dude was unloading some fucking 50 gals at him. And so maybe a bullet went under the hood, knocked something loose. So I get why he was having car problems. Do something else. Do something else. Like maybe... Have his car get stolen and they they end up on foot. Like I don't know. I just I had a huge problem with that. Well, it was right there. Uh, All then, they had. To, I mean, they were shooting the shit out of the car. It could have just hit a tire or five. Exactly. You know? I mean, like come right on. There. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Right yeah. there. Right there. Before he even takes off in the car. Absolutely. Um. But then these motherfuckers are making way too much noise. They're yelling and arguing, like on the streets. I would think that being as quiet as possible would be the goal here. What the fuck? You're making too much noise. And then. Shane's dumbass stepping in that trap. Who steps off a curb that close to it? It's like he stepped off and went straight down right up against it. He, his <laughs> heel was basically up against the curb when he stepped down. He's got the shortest gait of all time. Take strides like a man. Anyway, um, <laughs> the whole Carmelo storyline is basically forgotten at this point to me. Like They didn't do enough earlier to make me remember or care when it pops back up here. Although it's definitely going to matter a lot more later, it's just by the time they just sprinkled a little bit Carmelo in here, it's like I, I don't care. They, you didn't do enough earlier. You should have had Callie and her mom just being like disciples of Carmelo earlier, instead of just she happens to be watching a video with her grandpapa. I, I just it, it was kind of I don't like how they did that, but not a bad set of scenes. Just kind of nitpicky. One of the armed guys grabs Liz, scaring her. Sergeant checks out the truck, signaling for them to come over. Big Daddy has access to city cameras and may be associated with the government. Another truck arrives and they take off running. Liz screams when a rat jumps on her leg. Sergeant grabs a curious purger and chokes him to death. He leads the group to the subway entrance and they walk the tracks. Callie asks more questions, eventually upsetting him, and he tells her to go back to her mommy. They hear vehicles approaching now and take off running. Homeless people flee their bunks and begin getting slaughtered. Shane stops and begins opening fire on them. He gets a shot to the shoulder and has Liz keep shooting. They end up killing the men in the buggies, blowing them up. They get Shane back up and run fast as they can to Tanya's. They make it to her building and she lets them inside. They treat Shane's bullet wound as Sergeant asks for the car. Tanya cracks a fat joke on her sister and wants to start drinking. Tanya's dad and brother-in-law come inside the apartment now. There's obvious tension between Tanya and Lorraine. Sergeant Sergeant changed into a new shirt as he watches Tanya take pills. Liz jokes about still telling Shane's sister, and he jokes he's going to use the I got shot excuse the rest of his life. Kind of like Kurt Angle with a broken freaking neck. Tanya, Tanya asks her brother-in-law if he wants to dance. Eva tells him there is no car. He's pissed off and walks away. Callie begs him to stay with them. Lorraine walks out with a gun and kills Tanya. Lorraine calls her husband out for cheating. He grabs Liz as a shield until Sergeant shoots him, and then they make it out of the apartment. All right, Brian, next set of scenes I got, what do you think? Yeah, you mentioned Carmelo's group. I want to say this about Carmelo and, and his group. It's a little convenient that it's a like 
a nationwide thing, like a nationwide rebellion or in group from what I gathered, but just happens to be here in this city. Like just for me, it's a little, little convenient. That's all. Um, you know, and, and speaking of convenient, I don't really understand the thinking from Crossbones. That's his name in the MCU, Nico. Uh, and, and how he, he gives Callie his gun, waits for that dude to come around the corner. Like, why wouldn't he just expect that dude to take a larger turn around that corner and just shoot him? I don't know. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about? That I don't know. That just aggravated me when he was, he, he choked that dude out. But like, what if that dude just had a gun? Like, I don't know. It's just bothered me. Uh, the subway tunnel scene, I'm not a fan of this at all. Like, it has a lot of Escape from New York vibes with the dune buggies there and the flamethrowers. I don't know why it didn't really work for me. It just seemed like another action sequence for the sake of it. And and I'm all for action sequences when it's, say, like John Wick. But this movie in particular is about the characters. And I just think that it could have been cut, in my opinion. That's all. I think we get plenty of action scenes throughout. Now, saying that, to jump to, I really do love the Tanya apartment scene. There's a lot of real human moments with you know the the being exposed for cheating murder aspect and more character building with the Liz and Shane and their relationship. I mean, I know we follow them, but come on, I kind of wanted to see Tanya's sister fuck her husband up after they left. I mean, I felt robbed of that. Uh, and yeah, I know it's a start of the next set of scenes, but I'm pretty sure nobody would blame Sergeant if he said "fuck y'all" after the shit Callie pulled with the car. That's all I had. Yeah, so I thought. This was actually a pretty effective jump scare with Liz and like the the dead guy that was falling over or whatever. Like I thought that was a pretty effective jump scare personally, um, especially with the fact that she's in no real danger. So once you're like ah, you kind of like can breathe a collective sigh of relief. Um, I, I will say they didn't do a whole lot to set up what this truck and the guy with the machine gun was. So like have them go in there and it's like cameras and shit. Like I was not expecting that. Like I don't know. They just didn't lay any groundwork with that. So I thought, again, a little bit of a convenient plot point, but it makes more sense in the end. So I'm okay with it in hindsight. Um, I wrote, bitch, you got spooked by a rat? Just kidding. I would also get spooked by a rat. I fucking hate mice and rats. Uh, They're nasty. It's not their fault, but they carry a whole bunch of diseases. They fucking creep me out. I hate them. One of my least favorite things. Um, God. God damn, this guy, Crispin Wald, this guy, with the quickness. That was a chokehold by Sarge. He, what, what? Kevin Sullivan. Crispin Wald. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Was killed by Kevin Sullivan. Go ahead. Crystal <laughs> Wall was killed by a stack of weight plates, brother. Anyway, uh, 
So again, Callie is talking entirely too much. Maybe worry about all that shit you feel so strongly about when the sun comes up and the alarm goes off. Like it, it just uh, she annoyed me to no end in this in this set of scenes. Also, A plus for a head explosion. Really enjoyed that. I wish we could have seen it a little more up close, but I thought it was cool here in the subway. Also, a fucking flamethrower. Let's go. Not enough of those in horror movies. I'm with you, though. As far as the scene, it feels like a scene that takes a little too long to kind of get where we're going. When we finally get uh, when we finally get to Tanya's house, I love this scene. Maybe my favorite set of, like, collection of scenes in the movie is right here at Tanya's house or apartment. <laughs> Because there's so much human element, like Brian mentioned, but also I really like one. I really like uh, I almost called them Lane and Shiz, which is great, I guess. Shane and Liz, uh, I, I, I like their rekindling, but I also thought from the very beginning that something was off here. There, uh, everyone's being a little too friendly, a little too nice, which was annoying to be honest. And if I'm sorry, I really don't want to be here because we just went through a whole bunch of shit. And I'm going to have PTSD over, and now you're being entirely too fucking nice. So something was off here. And I, I love the way they pay it off, how that basically everybody in the family turns heel. I thought it was a great move. Um, I just had a feeling that's the way that it would play out. Last thing, I would absolutely leave all of them after I got after it was found out. You lied to me about having the fucking car here. Bye. I'm out. Save yourself. All right. So... It's a pretty effective jump scare when Liz was grabbed uh, because of the very tense moment, just walking up and all that, on all that carnage. One of my favorite things ever in movies is when people just stumble upon the opposition stuff and just leap to conclusions that are spot on. Love it. Okay. That was sarcasm. I hate that shit. It's lazy. I mentioned Nico when we did the uh, instant reaction for the nun too. I just, I hate this shit. How people just jump to conclusions in their right. There's never trial and error in movies. Fuck the shit out of me. Um, then, I feel you, Liz. I can't even be mad that you scream like that. You know, a rat climbs on me, and I'm doing a lot more than just a little yelp. Those motherfuckers started the Black Plague. I don't fuck with rats and mice. Uh, the action slows down a bit here while the group is walking until the group of assholes show up on their ATVs. Motherfucker just lighting folks on fire with the thrain- flamethrower's badass. Um... Shane getting shot trying to be a badass is pretty perfect. Like, he's not that guy, pal. Don't don't try to act out of character. This is not the moment. The whole side mission at Tanya's home is just so unnecessary to me. Like, I get what you're saying, Mike. There is a lot of human element. It's a lot's going on. But I was ready for it to be over as soon as they got there. But it was a huge oh shit moment when we find out that there was never actually a car. That was ballsy by Ava. Uh, He could have just lit up the whole room if he wanted to at that point. And then Lorraine going Rambo and killing Tanya. I mean, it's shocking, but again, it's just such a huge distraction from our main storylines. Just like I said, unnecessary. Uh, to be honest with you, this is probably my least favorite set of scenes. Kelly asks if he's going to leave them. He overhears Big Daddy telling his men he wants him captured for shooting him and his men. Big Daddy wants the two women captured as well. Sergeant jumps the fence, but is captured by the men. A perjurer shines a light in their faces in the back of the truck. Kelly asks how they found them. He says they got lucky. The truck stops and take the group inside this building. They're on stage in front of a crowd of rich people who applaud them. Rich people buy in to participate to kill the new batch. The group is taken into the hunting ground. The hunters enter now with guns and night vision goggles. They pray together before they start. 
Sergeant gets into a squabble with a hunter but kills him. He has to run before he can grab a weapon. He kills another hunter getting his goggles and weapon. He kills his sisters and takes their weapon. He shoots at the rich onlookers, scaring them. He gives Liz the extra set of goggles and she kills a hunter. The other two flee the grounds. The old woman calls for help, saying they've killed five of them. The security team enters. Sergeant tells them to make them earn it. Shane is shot repeatedly, and Sergeant kills the shooter. Liz holds him, crying. We hear explosions as Carmelo and his army enter. They begin slaughtering the security team. Carmelo arrives, and Callie quotes his lines. He's happy to meet her. Stranger tells them to get out, and Liz says she wants to purge. Carmelo says they'll take care of her. Sergeant, Eva, and Callie leave the hunting grounds grabbing weapons. Carmelo goes on the offense, slaughtering the rich bitches. The next set of scenes is the ending. Go ahead, Brian. Okay, first of all, right off the bat, a little nitpick. A little convenient for Sarge to peek around the corner and conveniently hear them talking about them. Like, I don't know. I, I rolled about that. It was just very convenient. But this set of scenes with the auction and basically the movie The Hunt – you know, with the rich folks it is my favorite part of the movie. Like mostly I think because, you know, based on what we know about in real life, elite Hollywood elite, this is probably the most realistic part of the whole thing. I mean, I think there's very cool uh, first person shots uh, when they're in the hunting grounds, night vision, also the shaky cam. I think that was a very nice visual choice there. Um, and it helps build the tension for me. And I think it was a good choice that, to have Shane bite the dust here. Like it, it added an emotional peak that we needed as an audience. It shows, you know, that this group doesn't have all the plot armor, you know, anyway, maybe just a little bit. Uh, Carmelo may have the best entrance of anyone ever. He just busts in and says, fuck the new founding fathers. Fuck you. Fuck your money and motherfuck the purge. That, that was, that was pretty awesome. Pretty classic. Uh, and it was awesome to see our guy Edwin Hodge, the stranger from the first one, you know, back in Carmelo's group. That was a nice little Easter egg there, too. That's all I have. Uh, so some of this part feels like it's taking a little long. You mentioned, Dustin, in the last set of scenes, and that's, you know, fair disagreement, no doubt, that that felt unnecessary. But I felt like everything after that kind of until we get to what is basically the auction for the hunt, like I feel like it, it doesn't. It's not moving the needle for me. Like, I feel like we've already kind of had a scene that's very similar to this. And I'm just kind of ready to get to what's, you know, going to take place here at the end of the night. So, I mean, I get you have to show them being captured and how that takes place and how that happens. But uh, I just think it could have been a little shorter. But it makes up for it when they when it's revealed that they're basically fucking, you know, at a rich person auction being auctioned off for a hunt for meat. Like, I fucking love that twist. It's sick, twisted, cool, loved it. Uh, I love the way that scene is shot with, like, the bright but dim lights at the same time. Love that. Um, you know, you mentioned The Hunt. You know, the book Dangerous Game as well. Like, you know, very similar stuff here where the rich elite get bored of hunting animals. So now we're going to hunt humans because that's the most dangerous game. So uh, this part kind of feels like a Black Mirror episode to me you know this little snippet of it not the whole thing but this little bit right here i'm like man this would make a really good black mirror mirror i don't know why i can't say mirror tonight it's the bid uh <laughs> but again i agree with you i was hoping the whole time that we get a main character kill and matt saracen slash shane is a good one to use uh 
I thought it added levity, added weight. You know, when you get a movie, and as much as I love the, the most recent Scream, I mean, nobody died of any consequence. So that was a nitpick I had with it. Uh, and this one, you get somebody dying of consequence. And I think that added a lot to it. Although for my Friday Night Lights fans, I think we all know that Julie Taylor would have let him die a lot earlier. So shout out to Liz for being a much better partner there. Uh, and again, we just get in this little bit, like Brian mentioned off the top, get some not so subtle echo, you know, some eco socionomic, you know, all that stuff. There you go. Sorry, man. It's COVID. Uh, but we get some not so subtle political plot points here. Hollywood elite, the rich, how they handle their business, how they're really like. And we get, you know, this is 2014, right as tensions were starting to flare up. You know, I'm sure this movie was wrote 2013 era, you know, time period, maybe a little bit earlier. But the Obama presidency transitioning into the 2016 election, like this little this little time period was kind of when tensions started to flare up. So makes sense that it's in the writing. Um, they, last thing, they went through these old white people like it was a freaking video game, man. I love how they're cleaning house right here. I thought it was an awesome shot, uh, and I, I, I love this scene. So good set of scenes, except for the very beginning. So <clears throat> where I mentioned the last set of scenes, the, ten, the uh, pacing and the action really slowed down. Tension gets cranked right back up to 10 here when the group is found and then even more when they're captured. So that last set of scenes is like in wrestling. When you heat the crowd up and you cool them down, you heat them back up so the finish means more. It's like uh, Fall Brawl 97 when they put the giant Scott Norton in the middle of the card. Like, who the hell cares? That's kind of what that last set of scenes were when you get into what's going on here. Lars uh, Hogan versus Scott Norton, baby. <laughs> Let's go. And then you mentioned it earlier, Brian, uh, when we actually see – Lakeith fucking Stanfield. Like, he's one of the bad guys. It's just crazy seeing him in this role and then seeing the caliber of actor he's developed into. I love Lakeith Pauls. He's a great actor. Um, Sarge has to be thinking here, fuck, why did I ever get involved? Like, he'd probably be done with his mission and back home in bed by now had he just minded his business. This is exactly why I don't stop and help people in distress. It's not my problem. But teach their own. Uh, it's pretty fucked up seeing how the rich pick, uh, pricks purge, like just picking and choosing and paying to do it in a controlled environment when they're the only ones with weapons. Like that's cowardly chicken shit. Uh, they didn't know that uh, Sarge is John Wick's brother, though. Like that man is a certified G and a bona fide stud. Just whooping these yuppies asses. Loved it. That was badass. And then Shane's ass got lit up. Tough scene. It looked like he was going to save his marriage and then wound up dead. Damn. I told you earlier, he's not that guy, pal. It's just not that guy. He's not, not built for it. But then, whoo, buddy. Omar's coming. These rich pricks must, must have never watched The Wire. They should have known that Omar is a bad man, or I guess Carmelo, as he's known here. But it's cool seeing the stranger from the first movie as well. So shout out to Michael Kenneth Williams uh, and Edwin Hodge. Great seeing them in these roles here. Like you said, Brian, that's a hell of an entrance they made. And then it was kind of weird and convenient that Carmelo just happened to show up here. And now, like you said, Brian, this seems like his his movement is nationwide. And he just happens to be based in the city that our story's taking place and show up. Because you, you got to also imagine, you know, you can't imagine that this is the only rich, rich folks purge happening in town, too. So how did he just happen to stumble upon this one? What are the odds? But it's a much improved set of scenes compared to the last. So I enjoyed it. All right, here's the ending. 
Sergeant hijacks the car driven by the old lady. He puts a gun to her and says to remember me. He orders her to run. Only 38 minutes left to purge and he drives to his son's killer's house. He had a blood alcohol level three times the limit, but got off on a technicality. He disabled the back barricade. That's why he's here. He tells him to stay in the car and he yells for Callie to let go of his arm. He exits the car and breaks into the house. Five minutes remaining and Sergeant goes into the couple's room. He wakes the man up with a punch to the face. He throws the man to the ground and orders his wife to her stomach. He puts a knife to him and says to look at his face. You know what you took from me. You took my boy, he yells. You're going to pay for what you did to my boy. We hear a scream and we see the front door barricade rise. Sergeant walks outside and is shot twice instantly. Big Daddy hovers him, knowing he'd be here. Unwritten purge rule. You don't save lives. You take lives. You can't have heroes. The boy's killer shoots Big Daddy now, saving Sergeant's life before Big Daddy could kill him. Big Daddy's men go to kill the two guys, but the purge siren goes off. Tanya and Eva run up, and Eva asks for his car. They pick him up and carry him to the car. He holds Callie's hand as they head to the hospital. They help him inside the emergency room as life goes back to normal for America. All right, Brian, that's the ending. What do you think? I love the ending. I think it's great from the uh, fake out, the the whole thing. Like One thing I will complain about this movie just as a whole there's not really a quote big bad you know i think that you know big daddy is kind of a hollow villain i guess but that kind of opens up a little bit more throughout the rest of the franchise i would say but you know that's just a little bit of a nitpick i had with this one uh but the whole finale the whole character arc with leo and the guy who killed his son it was a lot like it was emotional for me it was it was how i'd be it was very high tension while he was in the in the house um, the atmosphere, the whole thing, I think, was well, very well done. But Big Daddy's dialogue at the end, the the whole bad guy, I'm going to give a, a speech, a dialogue before I kill you. At the, it was the worst part of the entire thing for me. Like I didn't need that. Uh, but it redeems himself, I and mean, you totally redeem yourself uh, with a gunshot to the head. That was my favorite, my favorite kill of the movie. I'll just go ahead and spoil that. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I don't. I have a tone on the last set here, but uh, look, instead of, instead of telling that old bitty to run, Isla went off with her head. She was the main instigator for this whole auction. I Nope, that's the one exception I would have made. I, I'm knocking her out. Bye. You're gone. Again, uh, man, I struggle with it because obviously I don't believe in vigilante justice for the most part, but hey, in this situation, eh, fuck it. Um, but, so we get to the scene now where Sarge finally gets to where he wants to go, which is why I was interested in the movie the whole time. Like, I really wanted to find out what Sarge's deal is. And I think it's, you know, a really good story. Uh, I like it as a, you know, plot point for him. But you get to his house, and I just mentioned Vigilante Justice. Same thing here. I'm like, it would be really hard for me to ever be in Sarge's situation and let that man go. Uh, let him go for what he did. Uh, accident, not accident, whatever. It would be really difficult, especially since he's get, he gets to be in his bed with his family, uh, warm and cozy on the perch night where he's out, you know, trying to save people basically. Just, but just a, you know, tough set of circumstances. And I really like the scene where he's basically making them beg for their life. I think it's well shot, well written. And for him to kind of come out and not do anything was a shock to me. I, I really thought they were going to kind of pull the trigger there for lack of a better term. Cause 
I like the way that they set it up. But, uh, you, you know, again, what a dumb fucking rule where you can't save lives. What a stupid rule. Who makes these rules? The new founding fathers can go fuck themselves. That's a stupid fucking rule. Anyway, I know they're trying to purge people. I hear you. I just think saving a life here and there is not a big fucking deal. Uh, but again, he, the guy that he almost killed, that killed his son, makes up for it a little bit, you know, kills this guy, saves his life. Like, again, and of course, I talked about convenience. This is my last thing. I talked about convenience. The purge alarm rings at the exact right time before the shit hit the fan. I thought that was pretty fucking convenient, but also incredible. Um, again, I like the last seven scenes. I just didn't have as much as I had for the rest of the movie. I like the way they wrapped up Sarge's character, though, showing that he was, in fact, a good guy that we could root for the whole time. Yeah, hearing Sarge's why is tough. Like, I can't imagine feeling that kind of pain and finding out, you know, why he's going down that road. Um, and then it's just absolutely rough watching him when he's in their bedroom talking to the guy. Like, that's oof. Um, now, you mentioned the unwritten rule of the purge. You don't save people. Listen, unwritten rules are a part of the game, pal. You don't pimp a home run when you're up in a blowout, and oh, you don't I'm save pimping. people during the purge. I'm pimping it. <laughs> I'm pimping every homer. I'm pimping every single pal. Oh, me too. It's hard enough to hit a baseball. <laughs> Fuck it. Let me, exactly. let me let me walk backwards if I want to. But exactly. when Serge gets shot, holy fuck. Like, he almost made it through the whole purge and got the son of a bitch. But then, you know, the son of a bitch from the back of the truck earlier, Big Daddy found him and shot him. And But it's a real feel-good moment when uh, Big Daddy's killed and you realize that Sarge had a change of heart. He didn't kill the guy. And that guy ended up being the one that saved him. Like, that's just, everything's tied up. It's a really feel-good ending. And, you know, we don't always have to have feel-good endings in horror. But I like this one. Just because what Sarge had gone through and the reason he was out there in the first place and knowing that he had a change of heart and knew that it wouldn't help him to kill the guy. So let me just put it in your mind that I could. I could kill you right now, and I really want to. But I'm going to let you live. And then the guy did the right thing and saved his life. So I walked away from this movie feeling good. All right, guys, I'm in our social media comments and questions. We don't have a lot this week. Uh, this might be a controversial take to my fellow co-host, but Mookie on Twitter said, Anarchy and election year are the only ones worth watching. The rest suck. Such a good premise to be ruined by mediocrity at best. Wow. Uh, Wolf. Yeah, the hottest of takes. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, let's move over to Instagram now. It's the only comment we had on Twitter. Movie Bros Podcast commented, if the purge ever happened in real life, we'll be the first thing you guys are doing. <laughs> Man, I That's thought about this at work yesterday. I'm doing some diabolical shit. I'm not going to lie to you. But <laughs> I have here's no the thing. idea. There's two schools of thought. Number one, if I'm solo dolo, I'm probably just going to take the high ground and try to snipe some people that have crossed me. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be down in the thick of things. I'm going to take the high ground and snipe them. But if I got a crew, I got some motherfuckers that are ready to go down. Pause. Just like I am. We're doing it. We're doing it down the middle of the street, downtown. Shut up, Nico. <laughs> that was crazy. I'll admit, but that was crazy. That's not what I meant. But yeah, if I got a crew, I'm doing some diabolical shit. And I'm probably going to walk around, uh, walk out of the whole thing. If I survive, my pockets are going to be lying, too. I'm going to find some money. Probably hit up Mike's house. Go ahead. There you go. There you go. 
Man, my I got a really bad guilty conscience. I I don't think I could kill anybody. I would probably just try and survive and just I'd, I would be that that loser like when you play COD online who just hides in the corner camping out with a gun just pointed at the wall. That'd be me. All right, Mike, what would you do if there was a purge? <laughs> no, no comment. Yeah, I can't say mine on the air. <laughs> I'd rather not say. <laughs> All right with you. Uh, I'll okay. probably just go to bed and lock my doors and hope for the best. I'm going to be honest with you. Lock them doors and turn the lights down low. <laughs> also, when I said that I would hit up myself, I'm, I'm not going to harm you, brother. I'm just going to rob you because you got the money. You and Brian. <laughs> I would just give it to you. All you have to okay. do is Whoa. ask. Hey, Whoa. yo. That was crazy. <laughs> hey, yo. All right, let's open the fun facts. Uh, you got any? I got one. I got one. Who? I want the same one. Here's the fun fact. Go fuck yourself, Dustin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, in, in an interview, Frank Grillo said that he loved the movie, uh, loved the black car so much that he offered to buy it, and he wasn't allowed. Uh, and he also mentioned in that interview that uh, his character, Leo, is a bit similar to Clint Eastwood's outlaw, Josie Wales, which I didn't put two and two together, but makes sense. No, I didn't either, but yeah, it's fine. Um the only one I've got is that Purge Day, the Purge is a day after the spring equinox, and spring is a symbol for rebirth and cleansing, so it's very appropriate. That's the purpose of the Purge, so that's cool. All right. The budget for this movie was a cool $9 million, and worldwide grossed $112 million. So that's why it became a franchise, because both the first two movies made so much damn money. Uh, it would ma- it made no sense not to keep making them. So, uh, 112 million dollars worldwide against nine million dollars is a pretty good day at the office. All right, guys, jump to our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, I'll go first. Favorite kill. I'm gonna go with the flamethrower kill. I guess there's a lot of you know just gunshot kills, but I'll go with the flamethrower kill. At least it was a little different. It was memorable. Uh, least favorite kill. I'm gonna go with Diego. Just I agree with you, Dustin. I thought the blood coming out of that guy looked awful. Uh, mm-hmm. And plus, there's other gunshot kills, and Diego was—he was a piece of shit. He deserved—he deserved what he got, but it just didn't yeah. look good to me. Uh, my pros of this movie—it's entertaining, it's fast, it's well paced. I think the guy who played what's his name, Frank Grillo, is what you guys said. Uh, Sarge—he—he's the best part of the movie by far. Uh, he's the redeeming force for the movie for me. He does a great job. Uh, he's the good version of Jeff from Saw Three getting revenge for his son. Shout out to him. Uh, but my cons of the movie, man, it's just the characters. Like, there's, I feel like there's too much going on in the story. I know you guys liked when the three different stories going on, but there's just so much going on. Then you get to Tanya's house, and you got Lorraine and Tanya's drama going on. There's just too much shit going on for me personally. Then Callie, she's annoying as hell, like, from the start. Just annoys the fuck. I mean, doesn't stop talking whenever you need to be quiet. And like you guys mentioned with these cars breaking down, like Shane and Liz, the problems with her car, that shit, your power steering and all that kind of stuff doesn't happen over time. Like when, when that happens, it's instant. Like you can't even drive. Like my power steering has gone for you. You can't, you can't do what they were doing. And then with uh sergeant's car, you're telling me that this guy drove all the way down the road, then broke down. Like, come on, man. Like you had all of those bullet wounds or like bullet wounds. You had all those shots go through the hood of your car. Your shit's breaking down right there. That's just plain and simple. And like you guys mentioned, it's a machine gun. You didn't hit a tire. You hit. You hit the. You. I know you hit the the windows. It didn't break through the windows and kill anybody or 
shatter the glass right there. Just a lot of stuff I just didn't buy personally. Uh, but overall, still just an entertaining movie, like well-paced. I mean, but once you analyze it, it just goes down for me. I gave it a five and a quarter, respectfully. Um, I can go ahead and go. My uh, my favorite kills, Big Daddy. Um, you know, and I didn't really have a least favorite kill. I couldn't really pick between them. Like they're just like there's a lot of off-screen ones, so I didn't really have anything to put down there. But you know, I've, I've said it all pretty much. I like this movie. You know, it's not my favorite. Uh, but funny, Dustin, you said it's your least favorite in the franchise. I think for me, I remember that being Election Year or Forever Purge being below them. I don't know. I'm looking forward to watching them all again. Um, I think I gave the first one an eight. I'm going to go ahead and give this one an eight as well. I think, you know, I've gone back and forth and I just can't really decide which one I like better. And I think they're both just so different. I'll just flip a coin whenever we do the 31 rankings, I guess. But, yeah, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Uh my favorite kill is the very first machine gun kill out of the bag of the truck. I thought that looked really cool. Love the way the blood splatter looked. Like, I thought it was really well done. Uh, my least favorite kill is Shane, just because I didn't want to see Matt Saracen die. Texas forever. Um, look, I've kind of made all my good points here. I will say this is – I like this th- – this movie is more entertaining than the first one. I don't know if it's just well acted and well made, but it is very entertaining. Uh, I love the characters in the movie. I like the atmosphere, the that that purge, anarchy again, pun intended. Uh, I love the way they shoot it, the way that it's presented on screen, and that keeps me entertained the entire movie and makes me invested in these characters. So I thought it's a really good horror movie. <laughs> makes me excited to watch the rest of the franchise. Please don't ruin that for me by telling me any of them are bad. Uh, just let me go in with my eyes closed and hope for the best. Uh, but uh, I gave this. I gave this movie the same score as you, Brian, an eight. Okay. Well, um, my least favorite kill was Diego because I thought the effects looked bad. No, the blood just did not look good. Uh, my favorite kill was Shane. Look, man can't save himself and expected to save his marriage. That's tough. Now, as far as the, uh, the movie itself, like I said, this is my least favorite in the franchise, but that's not to say it's bad. Um, I, I enjoy it. It's a fun movie. It's just something's got to be last. So I gave this movie a seven and that gives us a composite score of 7.0625. IMDb has it as a 6.4. So we're pretty close. All righty. We kind of know what we're doing around here. Any final thoughts for I can shout out our blood donors. Then Mike can announce his pick for next week. All right, shout out our blood donors. Really appreciate y'all's financial contributions in a really crappy economy. Uh, it means a lot to us. We got a new final girl donor, Christina Tower. Really appreciate that. Camper level reoccurring, Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Merza, Andrew Ferguson, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, Trisha, and Kelsey Miller. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from a Too Close to Home Pod, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Karen, and Matt Strickland. We really appreciate y'all's financial contributions. We sincerely mean that it means a lot to us. Like it takes a big uh, burden off of us. And if you want to become a blood donor, just check out our website. It's right there on the front page. Uh, it, it would mean a lot to us if you help us out. Uh, Mike, you want to announce your pick? Yeah, first of all, I would like to apologize for next week's pick. <laughs> uh, I picked, I went with, I still know what you did last summer, which I know is not the worst movie in the franchise, but uh, it's still pretty bad. So I just wanted to apologize. But 
they're on the you know they're on the thirty one for thirty one this year, and that was kind of my decision. Again, I apologize, uh, but I'm excited. I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm excited to break it down. Sometimes I like reviewing bad stuff with you guys more than the good stuff, so I'm looking forward to it. A good hey. thank you, Brian. Here you go. It'll be a good discussion episode. Can't wait, buddy. Fuck off, Brian. Loves it. <laughs> I mean, those I are Brian's it. favorites. Brian I'm, loves I'm a never... good discussion episode. Just want to thank our fans and listeners. Y'all have a good one. We appreciate it. Just want to remind everybody. Oh, good out there. When the hell-